Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Dr. Sherry Vinsek joining us here once again on today's podcast to talk more about the work she does at Sage Center for Functional Health uh, based out of Fair Oaks, California. She's been helping people for so many years and, of course, also in the functional medicine department. Let me first and foremost have Dr. Sherry introduce herself. Hello. Hello. Hello, everybody. Dr. Sherry here from Sage Center for Functional Health. Great. Pleasure to have you back. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Okay. So what I do is I do functional medicine, which is looking at the personalized medicine, looking at root cause and walking people through their acute or chronic illnesses and trying to figure out all the reasons why they have these symptoms at this part in their life and how to basically unwind the situation that they're in and, and, and find out how to treat it. Beautiful. And want to remind people of your website to start? Uh, SageFunctionalHealth.com. Perfect. And by the way, just want to point out uh, your background, doctor of chiropractor, certified nutritional specialist, therapeutic lifestyle educator. Uh, There's a lot on your agenda. You've been in practice, I know, in the integrated field for over 30 years. So I know some people don't like talking about themselves, but uh, clearly you have a very distinct uh, resume. Um, And is there anything else that you want us to know about you and your background before we continue today? Um, One thing is I'm really passionately interested in now Al Bredesen's work, uh, Reversing Alzheimer's. He has a new movie out, which just came out on uh, video, uh, Amazon Prime and Apple TV. It's reversing, walking eight or 10 people through Alzheimer's and completely reversing it. So I'm certified in his Recode program and um, cognitive decline starts in our 40s. And I think that's a really important piece to know. We just don't, it's the apple doesn't fall off the tree. Hormones just don't stop working. Everything goes in through a cycle. And, you know, for cognitive decline, it is a 10, 20, 30 year cycle, as is multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's, et cetera. So the the awareness has to be brought there. And a lot of what I'm talking about today kind of segues into other ways in which we can help prevent that also. Right. And tell me what um, what is the name of the um, is documentary or a movie? Oh, what do code I- program. The Recode program uh, through Apollo Health. It's Dr. Dale Bredesen. He's written a book, The End of Alzheimer's Disease. His goal is to end Alzheimer's somewhat like leprosy, just clear it off the planet. And um, it's a very, very, very in-depth program, which has accumulated in his 40 years of research in this work. So it is possible. You're telling me there's people that he's... Yes, and, and there's a, a movie out. It's, it is called... Um, um, Oh, geez. Uh, Memories for Life, Reversing Alzheimer's. It is now on Prime Video and Apple Television. Beautiful. I'm going to check these out. Thank you so much. All right. Wow. I can send you the link if you don't find it for any reason, Joe. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. So what did you have in mind for your audience today? What did you kind of want to focus on? Is there something in particular? So today I want to talk about longevity, right? The secrets to longevity. And, and, Everybody wants a long life, but everybody wants a healthy life. And I want to talk about the things that are in our reach, that are lifestyle modifiable and are not expensive, okay, that we can start to do, but we got to think about it. So first of all, over 80% of the population is considered not metabolically fit. That's not good. The other statistic is that over 50% of our population in the U.S. has over two chronic diseases. So that's diabetes, cardiovascular, you know. Um, neurodegenerative, et cetera. So 
I think for the most part, we take our health for granted in our 20s and 30s, you know, unless you have an illness like an autoimmune or cancer, something you've had to really seriously deal with. And it's not till our 40s and 50s that there's a lot of shifts going on. There's hormonal shifts, metabolic shifts, psychological shifts. And so we start to really pay attention. So I want to talk about some of the things to start paying attention to and kind of get a handle on. Um, is hormones. And we know I love this topic because my last two talks have been about hormones. And the the first two were about the stages we go through and the testing we do and and how to monitor it. And I want to kind of reach out to two different groups here. I want to say for the cycling women, you really need to know your cycle. And, and, you know, when I grew up, I didn't really know my cycle, but now there's all kinds of cycling apps. You got to really pay attention because the first half is dominated by estrogen, the second half progesterone. The first half, estrogen, estrogen is a very forgiving hormone. You can do a lot to it. You can uh, do all kinds of diets. You could do a keto diet, a fasting diet. You could run a marathon. It wouldn't be too much of a problem. But progesterone, that's a different thing. Progesterone basically helps regulate blood sugar. And that's kind of why I think women get cravings and crave chocolate, you know, when they're when right before their period because progesterone is going down. So progesterone is linked in with cortisol and blood sugar. And this is where women who are cycling have a lot of problems with PCOS and weight gain and fertility. So I just want to shout out and say, you know, to the younger women in the audience, start to really know your cycle, keep track of it, keep track of how you're feeling, because as we can see, hormones over a lifetime really matter. And um, two thirds of people that have Alzheimer's disease are women, and they know that both perimenopausal and menopausal women that they have a decrease of gray matter in their brain already. And they also know that women that have been exposed to more estrogen over their lifetime have more gray matter. This doesn't seem to affect men the same way that it affects women. And hence, you know, we have more hormonal play and we have more hormonal cycling, et cetera. So this is a very important thing. And for menopause and perimenopause, menopause and postmenopausal and androgenic men, we really need to, have our hormones on board because they're trophic. They help growth. They help memory. They help synapses. They help lay new groundwork for um, new memories. They hold our memories, new skill sets, et cetera. And um, they help with muscle mass. And muscle mass becomes vitally important as we age because what happens is we all, you know, we, we have our peak muscle mass is about age 35 and we start to lose muscle after that. And muscle is where our uh, receptor sites are for insulin. So we have to keep our muscle mass. And to keep our muscle mass, we also need our androgenic hormones on board. So we need DHEA and testosterone. So again, I'm just going to say that hormones are so important. I think in a way, hormones rule the world. And everybody should be testing them. They should be testing them at major transitions in their life. And they should be testing them when things aren't going right. Because maybe there's a hormonal piece, right? I mean, we have a billion gazillion endocrine disruptors in this planet, in the planet with the microplastics and the plastics, which are endocrine disruptors. And they say that we're going to have by weight more microplastic in the sea by 2050 than we have fish. So um, really, this is uh, really important is to get the plastics out, right? So this is kind of going to give an example of a way in which, um, you know, our metabolic health ties into our hormones. And if you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. So this is an example of a young woman who started having um, heart palpitations, uh, tachycardia, temperature changes up and down, nausea, heart headaches, 
thought starting with primary center to cardiologist, cardiologist said she's fine, center to psychiatrist, psychiatrist offered antidepressants, ended up at a functional medicine um, physician and um, practitioner and found out through testing hormones, both sex steroid and thyroid that she had Hashimoto's. So Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disease and it has to be managed completely different than just having hypothyroid. In fact, over 70% of people that have hypothyroidism, in fact, have Hashimoto's. So okay. listening and you have hypothyroidism and you've never checked your thyroid antibodies. Mm -hmm. So by this woman finding out she had Hashimoto's, then she could figure out how to manage it and figure out what her triggers were. Okay, so triggers can be food, they can be environmental. And therefore, she changed her metabolism because her thyroid was not going to get better just on thyroid medication alone, because what was happening was her thyroid was being destroyed. It was mm -hmm. being destroyed because her body was attacking it in an autoimmune disease. So we need to know our thyroid because there's things called molecular mimicry where certain proteins can look like other proteins and they can attack sensitive immune tissue. So there's a lot to unpack here, right? There's just a tremendous amount with hormones and um, it would take hours and hours to completely talk about the justice that um, we need to do and pay attention to hormones. But the other thing we need to really pay attention to for longevity purposes is our gut microbiome. So our gut microbiome has trillions of cells trillions and trillions of cells of bacteria. And by weight, more bacteria than we have human cells. And um, many, many people have dysbiosis. They have um, a overgrowth of bad bacteria and, and, and not enough good bacteria, or the good bacteria is not in the right proportions. Mm -hmm. So there was a recent um, a journal, a recent entry that got published, a research article from the British Journal of Medicine that said that COVID was a disease of loss microbiome. That both the there was a depletion and a decrease of microbiota in the people that had the worst case scenario and the worst symptoms of COVID, especially the bifidobacterium family. So here is you know research starting to really look at this microbiome and how it plays out in disease states. And so it turns out that gut diversity is really important. So Primal times when we hunted and had fibers and roots and starches and berries. I mean, we had all these polyphenols and fiber. We were constantly putting prebiotics into our gut to make good probiotics and to have the healthy microbiome. But the food today is so sad. You know, it's so processed. I mean, if you stand in a grocery store and, and you look in people's carts, I mean, sometimes it's painful for me to see you know, these processed cereals that are just puffs of nothing with sugar. And it's like, what are we doing? These are our kids, right? We, we, we got away from nutrition. So in the gut microbiome, that diversity helps create something called short chain fatty acids. And these are super important because they help regulate our immune system. And um, they they monitor something called T-reg cells and the reg cells are regulator cells and they regulate our immune system. So there's three primary types. There's butyrate, acetate, and propanate. Well, butyrate's a really important player. And I must say that on the stool test that I do, I would say over half the population has really low butyrate. And especially, excuse me, the, the Parkinsonian patients I've seen because Parkinson's is very much an environmental 
and a gut-related um, neurodegenerative illness. So butyrate basically feeds colon cells. So it is protective for colon cancer. It helps with insulin resistance and it helps with mitochondria and it reduces body fat. So butyrate's really, really important. And I think that if anything, if no, if midlife, I think people should check in with their gut. I think they just should just do an overall of one of these good tests and kind of look at their microbiome because if they have really, really low butyrate, that's a risk factor. And acetate's another one. I see very low acetate with people that have skin issues. Um, acetate is known to be part of that piece with um, being important for eczema and psoriasis, but especially acne for young girls. I see very low acetate in girls that have acne. Um, and then there's another one, propanate, and that one isn't as much tied into um, mechanisms as much as butyrate is. So there's, I just want to put a shout out to some fascinating work by a gastroenterologist. Her name is Sabine Hazen, and she has a huge, she's on YouTube. And she has her own genomics lab in Southern California, and she looks at microbiome diversity. And she has done some amazing work that should make us just take a step back and awe and say, wow, you know, this microbiome is so powerful. So she has taken, um, she has mapped out the microbiome, and two examples of a, of a girl who had Crohn's disease. And on her genetic biome uh, makeup, she was really lacking diversity, very, very low diversity. So she had a fecal transplant from her mother, redid the genomics, it repopulated, her gut was now a very populated microbiome and her Crohn's symptoms went into remission. It has been five years and it is 100% in remission. Case two is an autistic child, a triplet. Um, they did the biome of the other two autistic children, very normal looking biome, microbiome. Third child with autism had a very a low producing microbiome, not very much diversity. Again, fecal transplant from the mother, repopulated, autistic symptoms went away. So fecal transplants aren't available to all of us. They're available in the lab. John Hopkins does fecal transplants for people that have serious C. diff, that have um, are antibiotic resistant now, and they do use it for children who are antibiotic resistant and drug resistant for diarrhea. But it's kind of like, why do we have to wait till somebody becomes drug resistant if we know this, right? How if do you find out if someone's drug resistant? Do you do those type of tests too? Like, or... Well, this is this would be in a hospital setting where they give, you know, rounds of different drugs and antibiotics um, and people aren't responding. There are some genetic tests you can do to see if people are, um, say, drug resistant to certain antibiotics, yeah. H. pylori or very specific things. And I'm, I am not sure where that's done. Most likely probably um, genetic counseling or hospital okay. setting. So the other thing about um, so we so we can't basically say enough about how important this diverse microbiome is, but we can control this. We can control this with our diet, eating you know really diverse plant-based um, foods with lots of polyphenols and fibers because that is what feeds that. And then if we have other outstanding situations like SIBO or a really bad dysbiosis, we can we can work on antimicrobials. We can you know, work on herbals to crowd out those bad bacteria and then, you know, build up the good bacteria. So it's really just a juggling act at that point. But day to day for reversing chronic disease and really setting the seeds for going forward, we have to think about our microbiome and our diversity. 
And we have to think about too, is that because we know that there is a corridor from the gut to the brain via the vagal nerve and, and, and bacteria can go from the gut to the brain and vice versa. And if you have a leaky gut, you can have a leaky brain that there's a whole new burgeoning field of psychobiosis, psychobiotics. So they're using specific strands of probiotics for depression and mood and anxiety. And there's a couple companies that have made, you know, very specific blends now. And then also weight loss. They know that there is a certain um, bacteria. There's a B lac a bifidolactis that is a patented formula that has, um, they've done a six month clinical study on overweight individuals who lost weight just solely on this one probiotic. And there's wow. one dementia, which is a unique bacteria that is tied in with weight control. And also um, it's tied in with gut integrity. So the more polyphenols we have, the more acomensia grows. So there's so many fields of study opening up now with our microbiome. We have to really think about, you know, what are we putting into it every day and really think about having um, more diverse vegetables in our daily diet, um, more plant fiber, more starches, etc. And um, Dr. Sherry, just remind us how we could reach you, please. Um, either by by email, um, sagefunctionalhealth at gmail.com or my website, sagefunctionalhealth.com. Perfect. Thank you. Just got to remind everyone. All right. So what else did you want to discuss? I want to talk about the science of chrononutrition. So chrononutrition is when do we eat and what do we eat, right? So if we want to change metabolism, we have to think about this idea. So they have found out that we can modulate insulin resistance in blood sugar by the timing of when we eat. So there was a study done looking at people that ate between same food, same exact food between 8 p.m. and 4 a.m., so nighttime eating, or 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. And the people that ate in the morning time ended up having a much better postprandial glucose reading and less insulin. So we need to start thinking about that we can modulate both glucose tolerance and, and insulin signaling by the timing of our eating and the amount that we eat. So we can become more metabolically flexible by using our food at certain times in certain windows of eating. So like intermittent fasting has become, you know, quite popular and there's lots of uh, YouTube videos out there. So at 12 to 14 hours, we really give our body a rest. And so our body starts to be able to go into something called autophagy, which is the eating up of um, clearing out of dead debris and old DNA fragments and cellular waste. It's at 17 hours, we really kick into autophagy. At 24 hour fast, we actually stem, stimulate the growth of new stem cells and we start to repair intestinal lining. So culturally, evolutionarily, our ancestors all fasted, you know, whether it was religious or spiritual or just lack of food, people fasted. And um, even the people that didn't fast when they lived in cold climates and they had run out of food, the only foods that were available in the spring were generally greens, the things that poked through the top of the earth, right? And so people ate a ton of green food and they weren't marching off to the grocery store buying ice cream and things like that. So systematically, systemically, we cleaned out. We had these 
uh, kind of feast and famine times, which is what evolutionarily our body's signaling and knows how to do, but we've really lost our way with that. So um, I want to talk about these longevity switches, which are really cool. So we have these longevity genes that have been handed down for generations based on this feast and famine hunter gatherer. So like at the end of the summer, it was a feasting time. It was, you know, the fruits, the nuts, the berries, everything, eating, 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 because people knew they were going to go through long, hard winters and they would have to, their metabolism would have to shift from basically one of digesting glucose and carbohydrates to fat stores. So people would have to start burning the fat on their body to, to make it. And so there's a couple switches. One's called an mTOR, M-T-O-R. And this switch is activated by eating protein and carbohydrates. What it does is it helps um, build new synapses in the brain. It helps build muscle. It's very important for longevity. But if we continue to eat and we don't take breaks, if we eat right up till we go to sleep and eat first thing in the morning, it becomes overactivated. And when an mTOR becomes overactivated, it starts breaking down muscle and it stops doing what it's supposed to do. One of the things it does is it stops cells from proliferating. So it stops cancer cells from growing. If we inactivate it and turn it off, that means that we can actually be increasing the potential for possible tumor growth. So this is another piece that's totally in our control with how we eat and when we eat and how much we eat. There's another um, one called the sirtuin and sirtuins are signaling molecules for protein regulation. Remember, most of us, a large part of the population is not metabolically fit. So this repairs DNA, it maintains our mitochondria, it really helps with energy, and it helps stimulate our antioxidants. So <laughs> we get our antioxidants, you know, we get them through food, through good polyphenols like kale and arugula and strawberries and berries, etc. But the goal of sirtuins is they get rid of these, um, they're called senescent cells and senescent cells, aka zombie cells. So these dead cells that age us and contribute to loss of vitality. And there was a study done um, at John Hopkins looking at 600 community dwelling older people looking through their blood for these DNA fragments. And they found that the more inflammation people had and the frailer they were, the more DNA fragments they had. And these DNA fragments are cleaned up by sirtuins. And so another way to increase sirtuins is again, by metabolically um, controlling our food intake, giving our body a rest and eating tons of antioxidants because our, our mitochondria is where we get our energy from. And these sirtuins stimulate mitochondria. So the good news is, is that we have these inherent switches in our body. We have these longevity genes. Um, and there's a new word out there in the world of science. It's called infla-aging instead of inflammation. Mm. It's Never in heard that. Inflammaging. Okay. And it's called the accumulation of senescent cells. And uh, this creates cellular dysfunction and organ dysfunction. So this is inflammation from not being able to clear these senescent cells and they clog up our system. They clog up our lymph. Um, they contribute to uh, edema and decreased vascular health because they're just um, old waste material, basically, that shouldn't be there. So another really great 
free biohack is exercising, right? We all know exercising is good for our health and our mood, but super good for brain balance and BDNF. And so BDNF is stands for bone-derived neural growth factor. And this is stimulated with exercise. And what it does is it goes in and it stimulates the growth of new neurons and new plasticity so we can learn and continue to have our brain develop instead of our brain go the opposite way into, you know, cognitive decline. They also turn on mitochondria and reduce inflammation. So having BDNF is a really, really good idea. And it turns out as far as exercise, the best exercise to do this is resistance training because resistance training builds muscle. And we need our muscle for um, controlling our blood glucose because muscle has more insulin receptor sites on it. So we can have more control of our insulin and our glucose if we have more muscle. And in the cognitive decline world, one of the um, uh, little markers for determining uh, cognitive decline is the strength of leg muscles. So measuring the circumference of a leg muscle and actually the measuring how much muscle someone has in their leg is reflective of how they will cognitively decline. So muscles king, right? So um, also exercise really helps us with mental clarity. It increases our neurotransmitters. And it's very helpful for ADHD because it increases dopamine and norepinephrine. And I um, I did a podcast on the functional medicine approach to Parkinson's disease, and it's on my website. And it goes into looking at this exercise and how it plays out in the brain and in affecting dopamine. And one thing I want to say is, you know, our kids are exercising the least amount that they've ever exercised in American history. And Kids used to walk to work, walk to school activity, walk to their friend's house. Mostly boys used to have paper routes. They don't exist, right? Because of digital media now. And um, I know as a young girl, I used to walk to all my jobs and kids used to lawnmower and, and, and that is gone. And exercise is very key for helping with an ADHD brain. The more exercise, the more focused. And so if we take away exercise, we take away one of those stop gaps that really help our brain. And also if you have kids scrolling constantly, we know that scrolling on uh, phones, especially vertically scrolling is really bad for the brain because again, we're meant to read left to right. This is a very new phenomenon going vertically like that, flipping, flipping, and that can contribute to ADHD just this constant bombardment of screen time and this flickering in the movement of screens. So I think that if we want to look at longevity and we're just focused on midlife, we really should back it up a little bit because, you know, what what precedent are we lying for our children as far as food, as far as exercise, as far as their brain working? Well, so, thank you so much. We're almost out of time. We are. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Simple biohacks, right? The food we eat, the exercise we get, we didn't go into sleep, we didn't go into stress. I mean, I, I think I went into the really big ones because I think uh, hormones, gut microbiome, these are the things that have so many downstream effects, have so many ways to metabolically come in and change them. So I hope that everybody gathered one little piece of information here that they can use practically in their day and they can Know that there are great functional stool uh, stool tests to do. There's great hormonal testing. Um, 
and 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 check out Dr. Dale Bredesen's book, The End of Alzheimer's, if you have anyone uh, who you're concerned about with cognitive decline or Alzheimer's. And there is a, a book on ending Parkinson's out, Dr. Ray Dorsey and um, a group of other authors, authors wrote a fantastic book on, on that. So we're really coming to terms with how our diet, lifestyle, environment all play into our disease processes. Good. Thank you again. And how can we reach you one more time? Uh, Sage Center for Functional Health is my name. So sagefunctionalhealth.com and sagefunctionalhealth at gmail.com. Thank you again. Always a pleasure to have you here and we'll touch base soon. And uh, hopefully are we back on again next week or? No, this is the end of my three. So Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. All right. Well, pleasure getting to know you and I won't say goodbye. We'll say until next time. Okay. Thank you, Jill. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you, A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council.